Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan. Welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to your app store and search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. church. So I, I realize I'm starting out with a lot of concerns this morning. Uh, first of all, I grabbed my water bottle and I don't remember drinking that much water out of it. And so I may be drinking after somebody. So I apologize if uh, that's you. Uh, secondly, as I was listening to announcements, I, uh, I heard something about our um, seniors playing bingo. And I'm like, I don't know where all that money's going towards and stuff. But man, I would have been in a lot of trouble back in the day for playing bingo. So I don't know what's going on around here. But uh, uh, so they should have a good time with that uh, going on. And then my biggest concern, which I want to, I, 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 I want to talk to the church in all seriousness, because um, I've had enough of this. And uh, somebody said to my brother again, that um, talked to him about something about, they was wondering if he served any time in the military. And uh, he said no. And they wanted to know if he was in Vietnam. And uh, he was like, how old do they think I am? But then they asked if I was his dad, uh, which would put me in World War II, uh, which is not a, uh, so who's ever starting these things needs to stop immediately, okay? There are some things that are hurtful, okay? And they can be damaging to one's psyche, okay? So anyways, uh, yeah, within the last year, I've had that happen. Somebody asked if, if my uh, sister was, uh, was my daughter. And uh, you know, so, so, Please stop, all right? I can only take so much. <laughs> uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're gonna to be looking into uh, John chapter two verses, uh, we're gonna be starting verse 23, work our way then through John chapter three, verse 16. Uh, a couple of the other announcements I wanted, I know that you've already heard them up here, but just wanna reiterate. One of them is um, uh, we wanted to make sure, again, we did a big Bible study for the church. So September 24th, we're gonna be starting a series on Philippians, we're gonna do a four week study. Uh, we have found that in order to get people into small groups, one of the best ways we can do that is to do it on a Sunday night. It's part of a larger group. We provide a meal beforehand. Uh, then you sit at a, a, um, a, you know, at tables with a group of people. You're going to be with them for four weeks, getting to learn about them. You're going to be talking about some of the passages that we've, we've uh, talked about in the morning. So we're going to do one chapter at a time. Uh, when we do that in the morning, I'll do a devotional on that. And then when you come back at night, we'll begin to discuss those things and then watch some videos. But it's going to be a great time. We already have 170 people signed up. We had over 200 signed up last year. So we know that we're probably going to get there this year. If you are new to the church, this is a great way to get involved. And if you've been here for a while, it's another way to get involved and get to know people. Uh, we've been telling people that if you have kids, don't worry. We have something for even toddlers. Uh, we have something for just the regular kids and they'll be preparing for uh, a Christmas musical. And then we have something for teens as well. And the teens will actually be doing the same study. Uh, they'll just be in their own group doing it. So we got something for the whole family. It's really an easy, really cool time. And so if you're interested in doing that, please make sure you stop out the information or at the lobby. There's a table set up. We'd love to have you sign up today. We just want to make sure we get enough books and all the food and stuff is ordered for all that. Uh, secondly, there's many of you that took the membership class. Uh, again, we're not forcing you into membership, but if you haven't filled out your membership form, make sure you get it filled out and turned it in, uh, I think probably this week. Because uh, in the following week, we're going to be doing a, uh, uh, we take it to the board and stuff, and they, they vote on all those. So we want to make sure that you're in on time. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is kind of a, it's a two-four thing. 
Uh, but we are having believers baptism on September 10th. Our uh, general superintendent, which is like, he's the highest position in the Wesleyan Church, he is going to be here in the morning because he's doing ordination service at night, which we talked about. So he's gonna be sharing in both services, but we're also doing baptism that day. We already have 12 people signed up. If you have not signed up for baptism and wanna get signed up, please do that because we wanna get your testimony and we want you to invite your uh, friends and family because I mean, what a great thing if, if they can hear your testimony and see the change in your life. I mean, that could really, be helpful to them to get into the kingdom of God as well, except Jesus. So want to make sure they know about that. The ordination service will be that night on September 10th, and that will be um, at six o'clock. Uh, again, uh, we have a choir and some other people helping out with that, but uh, Pastor Dylan is going to be ordained that night. And I just think it would be a great support if all of us would come and support his calling as well. I think it would be a great time. And then they're going to have, uh, uh, if this will entice you, they're going to have cupcakes afterwards. All right. So if that's the thing that I get you here, just think cupcakes, all right? But, that, but you're, not, you're not getting them unless you come at six, all right? So, okay. Uh, so anyway, so we have those. Uh, let's get into it today. So uh, again, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 2, starting verse 23. Uh, one of the things I've been noticing, especially with a lot of social media, uh, a lot of our content anymore, it seems to be focusing on the negative things, like the things that we don't appreciate uh, politically, economically, socially, um, just, uh, just a lot of things just real negative in nature. And so I really wanted to spend some time to, this morning as we enter the sermon is just talking about some of the things that we're for. You know, so I just want you to know some of the things that I'm, that I'm for. Like, this is what I'm pro. Uh, first of all, I'm for steak. All right. I mean, I love steak. And uh, I have to be honest, I wanted a little red, all right? For those of you who like it well done, you need to check your faith, okay? Because it's, it's really good that way, all right? Um, I'm for pop, or if you call it soda. I don't really care about a lot of other beverages, but that's where I get my caffeine from, is pop. Uh, I can do uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi, it doesn't matter to me that way. I just love pop, all right? Um, I am for uh, uh, fast food, okay? And uh, I love Chick-fil-A, all right. That got a little bit of clap in the first service from people, you know, so I knew who the Christians were uh, when they clapped for that. And so I'm concerned we didn't hear anything this service, okay. Um, I am also for strawberry pie. Uh, I'm putting that out there because uh, since my mom's no longer living, I don't know who's gonna supply me with my strawberry pie. So if you really feel bad for me, you know, because it's been a tough year, just make me a strawberry pie, okay? That's, that's, that's what I need, all right? Um, so I guess from what, what I'm trying to say is, uh, as if you can't tell, I'm, I'm pro-food, okay? I mean, just love food. And what I'm, I mean, this is what I'm thankful for God for, that God, he gave us something that we needed, and he made it oh so good, you know? Like, it's easy to take that way. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm also uh, for the Buckeyes, all right? So I, I love, yeah, there we go, yeah. I love, uh, love to watch it. Um, uh, I'll t uh, again, I'll tell you one thing I'm against, and that's Michigan. So I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. But that I'm against. Okay, yeah. So some of you understand, all right? Um, so yeah. So uh, you know, every Saturday, it's going to be. I'm be watching that. I'm a little bit ticked off though, because one of my son's cross country meets is during um, the Ohio State Notre Dame game, and uh, my my other issue with them is I think that they're uh, I think they're Irish as well, and I'm thinking, what are you guys doing? Why did you schedule that at night? I have no idea. So I'm a little bit upset by that. Uh, I'm for America, all right? I'm, I'm thankful for this country we live in. There's, there's just no doubt about that. Like, I'm for 
don't always agree with everything that we do, but I appreciate that we have uh, uh, some of the freedoms that we have, you know. Um, um, I'm for the family, especially a family with a father and a mother who uh, love each other and who show those loves to their kids as well. Like, I'm just, just for that. Um, I'm for taking care of those in need. We see a lot of people in need around us, and I'm so unthankful for the way that the church gets to reach out that way. I'm, I'm for loving our neighbor as ourselves. I'm for the church. Just think it's a safe place for people to gather and for us to learn and sharpen one another. And then this is the most important. I'm for a God that so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for the next two weeks, we're gonna be focusing on that passage of scripture uh, one of the words that we wanted to focus on this year, last year we focused on the word grow when we talked about growing, not, not physically in numbers, but just growing spiritually in our faith. This year we wanted to take a look at sort of how we do worship. And that's not just music, because some people think that's only music, but it's about the whole worship experience and the service. And one of the things that I felt like we've been missing out on is the ability to memorize scripture. And I think that there are some passages out there that we need to commit to memory. And this is one of those verses that was committed early on to me. It was like one of the, um, you know, main uh, verses of the faith that we needed to know. So as little kids, we would learn it. Uh, probably many of you have learned this verse as well and probably have committed to memory. But I also understand that with all the new people that we have in our church and all the people who have just come to faith for the first time, and this may be their first church experience, they may not know that passage like you and I do. And so here's what I want to call us to, all right? I want to call us to uh, a commitment within the next two weeks. I would like everybody in this church, and I got this idea. I forgot to, to credit this for a service, but I got this idea from uh, Mike Fogel, uh, who takes care of our sports stuff. But we decided to do this idea like at 316 every day, we'd like you to set your alarm, all right? And at 316 every day, and now if some of you, you're like one of the morning people that's crazy like that, I mean, you can do it at that time, but I'm, I'm talking 316 in the afternoon. Um, I would like you to set your alarm for 316 in the afternoon. And I think it would be awesome, and for those of you who haven't memorized, to just recite that verse at that time. And for those of you who don't have that verse memorized, what I'm hoping is that over the next two weeks, if you will read it and you will say it enough, that you'll be able to commit that to memory by the time that we're done. You see, I think there's gonna be something powerful at 316 every day for you and I to recite that together and you and I to recognize the grace that God provided us when he sent his son to die on a cross for us. You see, every day at 316, I hope you know that you're loved. I hope you know you're loved. When looking at this passage, I wanted to start our reading in John uh, chapter two because I really think it goes together into chapter three. But what we're going to find in this passage, we have two characters. First of all, we have Jesus, who we know is the Son of God, and he is doing some teaching. And then we have another man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you're going to find out, is a prominent guy within the Jewish culture. And it's significant because the rest of the passage is Jesus telling this man, who already has a lot of knowledge, some things he may have not taken into account. I'm hoping that by the end of this service today, that you and I will come to the same conclusion that Nicodemus did. And that Jesus, in fact, was the Son of God and that he can heal us from our sin. So let's read together. 
Verse 23 in chapter 2 starts out this way. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the sign, talking about Jesus, he was performing, and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Going on chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, it, it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Now then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up his snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, it's, it's interesting just how much is in this short passage and how much happens within a conversation when we have it with our God and our Savior. Jesus, you spoke to Nicodemus then, but you speak to all of us now. I pray that all of us will be like Nicodemus and be very open-minded to what you have to say to us and that we would hear from you and understand your word. Father, if there's anything that I would get wrong in interpreting today, I pray that you would clean it up in the ears of your people so that yours is the voice that they hear above everything else. In your name we pray, amen. So this, this passage of scripture, again, it's one of those I thought I was going to do on week. And then as I was looking, I was like, man, there's just a lot of stuff here and a lot of interaction that even happened with Jesus and uh, Nicodemus. I wanted to focus on the idea of coming to Christ and what it means in our faith and our belief. So we read in the first passage in, in verse 23 through 24 again, it says, Now while he was, again, talking about Jesus, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. Many people saw the signs of the miracles and things that he was doing and he was performing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You see, when I think I read that first passage and you read that there were many who believed in his name, I think there's a certain level of excitement that I have. Because when people come to me and they say, I believe in Jesus, or I, I believe in God, like there is a level of excitement that I'm like, oh, awesome, like they get it, you know? But it's funny because when you read that passage, because I think a lot of people, and especially in our culture, let me say this, I think that we're getting away from Christian standards in our culture. But I still think you'll come across many people if you ask them who will say, I believe in God. 
Like, I believe that there is something bigger that is out there. And so I think most people will, will even suggest that even though we're, I think things are getting a little bit diluted now. But there are many people who will say, I believe in Jesus. And for us, we get all excited about that. But what's interesting in this passage, and I want to give you a little bit of, uh, of sort of Greek. And I, I won't go over the Greek name. I just want you to know this. When you read in verse 23, they believed in his name. All right, they believed in his name. Then you get on to verse 24, and you'll read the word, but Jesus would not, and listen, entrust. Now, that word entrust is the exact same word as believed in the previous verse. So if I could rework this verse for just a moment, this is what I want to suggest to you what it's saying. It says that though they believed in Jesus... Jesus did not believe in them. You see, what was happening here is this, is that because of the miracles that Jesus was doing and some of the things that they were seeing, they were saying, we believe in him and he's doing those miracles. But it's almost as if if he doesn't keep doing those miracles, then maybe our belief may be shattered. You see, it said this, that Jesus knew all people. He he did not need any testimony about mankind. And listen to this, for he knew what was in each person's heart. You know, it's interesting to me as, um, uh, and I think we come across people like this all the time, but we'll have people that say they believe in God and we get, we get all excited. So, for example, if there's a, like a secular musician or some sort of rock star and they say, I believe in God, we're all like, oh, yeah. But then you look at their lifestyle and you're like, oh, no. Like, you know, it doesn't really match up with their sort of belief system. I think James is an interesting author in the Bible, James being the brother of Jesus. You remember that James didn't actually believe in Jesus himself. He was probably this jealous brother, like, oh, here he goes again. Jesus is the son of God. Yeah, Jesus is perfect. We get it, you know. But he didn't really believe in his brother. But what changed his belief? It's that James saw Jesus beaten, ridiculed, mocked, put on a cross, stripped of everything he had, and he saw him bleed out, and he saw him suffer, and he saw him die. And then later on, he sees Jesus resurrected and in person after everything that he went through. You know, so in James, it didn't take like a lot of thought in James, but it was like, oh, when your brother dies, and he says that he's going to rise again, and he does it, I can probably believe in that. You know what I mean? So he bought into it. And James says this in his book that he writes. He says, you believe in God, great. Almost as kind of a sarcasm to it. He says, because even the demons believe and they shudder. I mean, the demons believe and they have a response to the name of Jesus. Like at the very mention of his name, they shudder. And I have to confess that I think that we've missed the mark sometimes on how we view God. Like, when we grew up, there was a God to be feared. And then we understood a God to be loved. And I think there's some balance in there. But I think so many times we just see this God who is loving, and so our belief is weak. I know of an evangelist, and I remember hearing a story about this. But the evangelist uh, who had committed some moral failure... He, um, he was talking and doing an interview later. 
and they said to this individual, they said, hey, they said, why, why did you, um, uh, you know, why did you, why did you do all these sins when you knew about the love of Christ? And he simply said, the love of Christ wasn't the problem for me. He said, I just didn't fear God. Just didn't fear God. And so there is a balance in there somewhere. And I've often told people that fear is what brought me probably to Christ, but love is what kept me. But love is what's kept me. And so even the demons have a response. And just because you and I believe, and I, and I, I want to, hopefully I'm going to say this right. I want you to know that there is a belief that is short of salvation. Like you can say that I believe in God, but if you don't receive God, you're missing out. And so we have Hebrews 4.13 that I think even solidifies what Jesus is saying a little bit more. But verse 13 in, in Hebrews chapter 4 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom he must give an account. In other words, there is going to be an accounting one day. There is going to be an account. And for some of you, you're like, oh, no, really? Because it says that Jesus knows all of our thoughts. And you're like, oh, well, does he know? Yep, he knows that. But I'm sure he doesn't. Nope, he knows that one too. You know, and for some of us, that is a scary thing. But here's what I love. Even though God knows all of your thoughts, and even though he knows you personally and everything that's going on in your life, he still decided to love you. And that's a tremendous knowledge that we have. So God knows everything about us, but he loves us anyways. The last part of chapter two in the beginning of chapter three, I believe go together. Um, so we believe that the word of God was uh, inspired and it was written down. But sometimes when they broke up some of the chapters and stuff, they may have broke them up in various ways because they thought these thought lines kind of fit together. But I want to suggest that I really think the end of chapter two goes in to agree with chapter three. Uh, so we have, for example, the last part of chapter two, as it begins, it talks about people who believe, but God doesn't believe in them. And then it goes on to say in verse one, here's the contrast. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a rabbi of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see, we're given the contrast because now we have an individual who we believe is going to be a little bit more open-minded and going to receive a little bit more of the faith. And so this is the interaction that they begin to have. Now, we pick up a lot of information about Nicodemus right away. So what we find out, first of all, he's a man. Uh, secondly, he was Jewish. That's where he was born. And then not only was he Jewish, but he was a Pharisee. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, there was like two major sort of groups within the Jewish community. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. Um, Sadducees, to some, might have been considered a little bit more liberal. They had some of the high priest positions. They, were, um, they, they had a lot of things based on sort of wealth and politics and some of those things. The Pharisees were known more for following the strict act of the law, but not only did they follow what we consider the Torah or some of the Old, the Old Testament books of the law, but they also believed in what we call the oral law as well. 
And so they would have these teachers that would take the Old Testament law and they would break it down and they would say, well, this is the way we need to live it out. And what they believed is that the book of the Torah was just as important as the oral law or some of their great teachers have been teaching. And they believed that if you didn't follow those things, that you were in the wrong. And if you didn't follow some of the oral traditions, they would come and say, hey, you're not living this the way that you're supposed to be. So it was a very conservative, almost legalistic group. And not only that, but he was a ruler in them. Um, they also said that he was part of what we call the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, basically, if you could think about it, is probably what we would almost consider like our Supreme Court. Okay, like they made sort of like the final decisions. And there were both Pharisees and Sadducees on the court. And the court was made up basically of 71 members, and he was one of the members in that group. We also find later that Jesus says to him in this passage, he says, and you are one of the great teachers, basically. So not only was he part of them, but he was one of the better teachers. So we knew, we have an understanding that he knows the law, he understands it, he knows the authority, he knows what he's been taught, that he's in a, uh, a position of high power himself. And then later on, we'll find at the death of Jesus that Nicodemus will provide 100 pounds of spices, which would have been very, very expensive in that time. So we also know that he comes from a little bit of wealth as well. All right, so he has all these things going for him. But there was something different that he saw in Jesus. Nicodemus was there when Jesus overturned the tables. And where most of the religious leaders would have been upset with what is happening, Nicodemus looks and he says, hmm, something different about this guy. Like this guy does miracles. And he began to decide that with everything that I know, and with everything that I'm seeing, could this possibly be the Messiah? And where all the other religious leaders, when we read about them, they'll come and they'll have their confrontations with Jesus and they'll try to pick at him. Nicodemus comes with an open mind, ready to hear from Jesus. It's interesting because the time that he came, we read is when? It's at night. And I have to tell you that even though we'll, 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 we'll look at it and say, well, I wonder why he came at night, we really don't have the answer to that. But there's kind of three possibilities. Oh, and, and by the way, I, I just want you to think about this. This is Nicodemus, right? So you could say his nickname would have been Nick. And so if you think about this story, this would have been Nick at night. All right? I'll give you a minute to think about that. My sister finally got it. Good for her, Okay. So one reason might have been first, and this is what a lot of people will say from time to time, is he was afraid. You know, he knew how the other religious leaders felt about um, Jesus, and he probably thought, you know, I'm not sure if I want to attach myself to Jesus. I want to find out who he's truly about, because if I do go ahead and sign up with him, that could cause great persecution for myself. So maybe he did it for that reason. Second reason is he might have been busy. I mean, he was a Pharisee, so he spent some time teaching and, and developing people and discussing the scriptures. And so for him, he might have been too busy to go to him at that time, so night might have been the appropriate time. A third reason may have been this. He just wanted quality, unrestricted time. Maybe that this was the only time that he could get Jesus alone. Because during the day, so many people would have followed him, but at night, people wanted to go get their food and go get their rest, and so they would have left Jesus, and there would have been this time for him to be just with him. Matter of fact, in the, uh, some of the traditions of the, um, 
uh, the scholars, when they would write stuff and they would look at the law, they would often do it at night because they found that that was the only time that they could get alone with the law, put up a little candle and read the law and spend time in it. And that was the time that God would speak to them. Nicodemus wanted private time with Jesus. Here's what I wanna suggest for us. I think all of us need a private moment with Jesus. I think we need a time when there's no distractions, when there's nothing else going on, that you and I can just spend time with Jesus. You know, coming to groups like this is is great. It's what we've been asked to do. It's where we learn. But I need those moments where God can speak to me, where we can have those times and God can just say, hey, Chuck, here's some areas I think you need to clean up. Here's some things that I wanna talk about with you today. And we need that private time where we spend in his word, we spend in prayer, and we can just have that moment with Jesus. Nicodemus had that moment with Jesus when no one else was around, when no other distractions were there. And Nicodemus in that moment calls him what? Rabbi, which is teacher. And it's a pretty powerful thing, but you have to think about this too, is that you know here is Nicodemus, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. And here he's saying, and you're a teacher, Jesus. And I love what happens because in this moment, it's sort of like, well, you know, I'm a teacher and you're a teacher. And so we can probably discuss these things on another level because we're the same. But here's the deal. Nicodemus was teaching about God and Jesus was God who was teaching people, which is a different comparison. And so even when Nicodemus calls him teacher, Jesus' response doesn't even sort of acknowledge that because he's like, well, we're not really the same because I'm God teaching humanity. It's not quite the same. But Nicodemus acknowledges that he is a teacher. And it's interesting because when Nicodemus refers to sort of the, um, um, the temple, he refers to it as the house. And whenever you look at the way Jesus refers to the temple, he refers to it as my father's house. Everybody else would refer to it as the house. And he, so he's already making some statements. They're not catching on to that. This is my father's house, that I have authority here, that this is where I belong. And so what's interesting to me is this, is Nicodemus had great knowledge, he had great authority, and he had great wealth. And at the end of the day, he was open to hearing from God. My question for us today is this, how have you come to Christ? Are you open to what he has to say? Do you want advice? Do you want him to speak into your life or do you wanna just do all the talking? You know, sometimes we get in that prayer time and we do all the talking and we never let God really speak to us. And I'm sure God's just like, I just need you to shut up for just a minute, okay? Have you ever been that with your kids, you know? They wanna tell you all the reasons. They're already building their argument. You just wanna tell them the way it is. And they're and like, you gotta wait till they run out of breath or, or they take a breath. You're like, okay, now let me talk. Jesus is waiting for that moment for us to shut up so he can speak into our lives. But I want you to know this, how you come to Christ is important. If you come in believing that you already have all the answers and you're not allowing him any time to really speak in to the subject. We go on then to verse three. And what we're recognizing here is Jesus is, is having this back and forth with Nicodemus. And, and one of the things that he says to Nicodemus, he's like, you know, you, you really can't have any part of this unless you're born again. And I love Nicodemus's response because it almost seems a little bit sarcastic in nature. And he's like, well, how can you be born again? 
You know, he's like, um, do I go back into my mother's womb? Is that how I do it? And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he starts to talk to him about, you know, flesh gives birth to flesh, and spirit gives birth to spirit. But the, 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 the thing that they're dealing with right now in verses 3 through 8 is this, is you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? And you have to understand from Nicodemus' perspective is this. Nicodemus was a Jew. And being a Jew meant that he had entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Like just because of his birth, just because of the covenants that were made a long time ago, just because he was a Jew, that allowed him to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus begins to get with him and says, no, 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 that's not the whole thing. Just because you've been born into it doesn't mean you're guaranteed it. And I think that you and I have to wrestle with that same thing because I think there are some of you like me who have been brought up in the church, but just because you've been brought up in the church doesn't mean you get into the kingdom. There is a decision that you have to make at some point in your life where you recognize that Jesus is Lord and you have to do what he's saying. You have to be then born again. See, Nicodemus believed his qualifications for entering heaven were all about his birth. And here Jesus is saying, that's not enough. You have to be born again. Matter of fact, even in the Jewish tradition, you need to know this. There were a lot of people that were pagans, what they consider that weren't Jews. And there were certain rituals and certain acts that you would have to go to in order to become a Jew. So you, you could be somebody that wasn't born a Jew and you could eventually become a Jew, but you, there, there were certain things you had to do. And what's interesting in their sort of when they talk about all this stuff, one of the references they'll make is, then you are reborn. Then you are reborn. And what he's literally telling Nicodemus is Nicodemus like, the first birth you have, that's great and everything, but it don't count. You need to be reborn. And Nicodemus again responds, well, how do you do that in the flesh? And he's like, you can't do it in the flesh. You have to do it in the spirit. And he even says, like, you, you feel the wind, but you don't even know which direction it's coming from. And he's like, you're going to feel the Spirit of God. You're going to feel the presence of God. You're not going to know where it's coming from, but you're going to know that it's real, and you're going to know that you need to respond to that. You need to be born again. And I'll tell you, there's something significant about the time that you and I come to that place. And some of us will look away. Well, he says, you know, you, you, you need to be uh, the spirit and the water and all that stuff. And some of you would be like, well, that's why baptism is so important. Listen, baptism will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. It will not get you in the kingdom of heaven. It's something that we do to express sort of what happened in our life. It's our testimony that we give. And there's something powerful in that moment. But baptism alone will not get you into heaven. Matter of fact, if you're along that line of thinking, then you're going to have all kinds of problems with the criminal on the cross. All right, you're going to have a whole lot of problems with all Jesus' ministry. Because Jesus didn't first go to baptism with people. And when that thief was on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't go like, oh, man, I'd love to let you in, but I got no water here right now, so. But he says, you've been forgiven. And in that moment, that individual was reborn, even if but for a short time. You and I need to come to the place where we are reborn, where there's a new life that takes place. And I'll tell you, that, that's not always a spiritual thing. That, that, can be, that can be just in our everyday lives. There, there are times that I've had to wrestle with issues in my own life where, I, where I've had to say, I, I've got to be reborn again in this. 
You know, when I'm taking care of my kids and, and maybe I haven't been there for the way that I need to be or be there for my wife and, and I have those hard discussions and I realize I've, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change the way I process. I've got to be reborn again in order to make this family work the way it needs. And I think you and I can sort of understand that. But when it comes to Jesus, we need to come to the place where we recognize that we need Christ in our life. And from this moment on, I change the way that I think. I change the way that I do stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect each and every day. Because there are days when Jesus starts dealing with me, and I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. And he says, that's okay. That's okay. The fact that you're still open to what I'm saying, that's the most important part. But when I accepted Christ in my life, I realized that there was a way I had to think differently. I had to respond differently. I had to love differently. And so I love when we get into this passage, then we get into verse 9. And he says, how can this be? Nicodemus said, you are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And then he goes on to say, you've seen all the signs. You've heard the testimony. You see all the things that have happened here on earth, but you still don't believe. And the question is for you, what will it take for you to believe? And he tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you know the, you know the law. You know everything that's said about the Messiah. And now you have seen it. You've seen the miracles that I've done. You've seen the demons that have been cast out. You've seen the way that I love people. Like, is that in line with what you've learned and what you've taken in? Because you've seen all this stuff and you still don't believe. And church, that's my biggest fear because I think sometimes we play games with God. We say, God, as long as I see the miracles one after one after one, then I'll continue to believe. But the minute those miracles stop, I'm done in my faith. And we play this game with God. You know, you have to hold on to some of those miracles you've seen. There have been times that you've asked God for something and he's blessed you. You need to hold on to that. You don't just hold on to it for a moment and say, okay, I believe you now, now I need you to do this. But I've had miracles that I've done in my life, I've seen them done in your life. I've seen where people have been complete addicts and had no hope. And then they had a moment with Christ and he changed their life. And I look at that and I say, that's the power of the cross. That's the power of Jesus in somebody's life. And I can't do anything but believe in that moment. The day I knelt at the altar for myself and confessed my sins before the Lord and I felt free in that moment, I need to remember that that moment happened. Even if the devil comes to me the next day and says, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Because it said it in his word and I meant it. And so I can have that assurance. There have been times that God has called me to do different things. I think so many times financially, God would say, hey, Chuck, even when I was early on in ministry and I didn't have much money, I felt God would say, hey, Chuck, I want you to give to this organization or I want you to give this much money to the church. I want you to give to this mission group. And I would think to myself, Lord, I don't have the money. And I would be counting the cost and say, I can't do it. And God would impress on me to do it. I would write the check. I would give the money. And then I would go to my mailbox the next day and there would be a check for that same amount. Man, that's not coincidence. That's God. But how many of those miracles do I need before I'll believe? I hope it just takes one. And then we walk by faith, not by sight. What will it take for you to believe? We get into verses 14 through 16. And there's this great passage. And just give me a moment here. I'm trying to explain it quickly. But it says, just as Moses was lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, if we go back, this is a passage that was happening in Numbers. 
And we remember sort of the stories of Moses leading the, the people of Israel to the promised land. But there are so many times that God would provide miracles and then people would grumble. He would provide miracles and they would grumble. Man, it doesn't sound like a lot like us. He provides something, then we grumble. He provides something, then we grumble. Nothing's ever good enough. God got tired of them not believing and putting their faith in him. And so it says that snakes were sent. And those snakes were poisonous in nature that when they got bit by one, that they would struggle and they would die. And in that moment, they realized we can't keep living this way. Like, and they said, you know, God's upset with us and we need to change our ways. And they went to Moses and Moses went to God. And God's response, by the way, was a crazy response. Matter of fact, it almost seemed to go against what God had already told them not to do. Because God told Moses, I want you to go take and I want you to go make a snake and I want you to go put it on this thing that we're gonna raise up. There's a problem there. One, a snake represents what? Satan, the devil. Two, they're not allowed to make any graven images. And he tells them to do that. It kind of goes back to the message you talked about in Jonah where sometimes God asks you to do hard things that you're not really ready for. And you have to die to some of your thinkings that he can do what he wants. But you know what's interesting about that snake on there? And, and some of us will see it. And I've always wondered, because we'll see it in some of our health stuff, you know, and I'm always thinking, that's weird. But it comes back from this passage. What's interesting to me is this. Those people that had sinned against God, in order for them to be healed, they needed to look at sin itself and recognize it's because of my sin that I'm in this position. And then in doing that, they found the grace of God. And John makes a statement. Just as, as Moses lifted up that snake and they looked into that poison and they looked into the devil itself, he said, so the son of man will be lifted up. That's a tough look. For you and I to recognize that because all of our sin, all of our falling short, all the damage that we've done in this world, that in order to be healed, you and I had to look at sin itself to understand the grace that God gave us. To understand that Jesus in that moment when he was on the cross, it says that he took on all of our sin a sin that he had never known. And it was so unbearable for him that you remember that he cried out in pain and agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason why God forsook him in that moment was because of his love for you and his love for me. And when you and I look at the cross, we literally look at the sin that we caused. And in that moment, that cross that is so ugly, that is so disturbing for us becomes a sign of beauty because it's by his grace that you and I are saved. And we don't get saved until we look and understand what happened on the cross. And in that moment, when you and I can admit our sin and our pain, we are reborn. You see, true belief happens when we recognize the poison of sin and believe that love displayed on the cross heals our soul. You will never be reborn until you can wrestle and recognize what Jesus did on the cross for you and that what he did on the cross was enough. See, Christ died for us while we were still 
sinners. Not while we were good, but while we were still sinners. That's the depth of his love. And if you will believe that what he did on the cross was enough, and you ask Christ into your life, it says that he'll forgive you of your sins and you can be reborn and know that you have a place in eternity with him. Would you stand with me this morning, church? I'm gonna ask that you uh, close your eyes just for a moment. But if today you're getting it and you're saying, man, I, I believed in God, <laughs> but I'm not sure he believed in me because I haven't wrestled with the cross yet. And you'd say today, I'm ready to wrestle with the cross in order that I might be reborn and live a life for him. If that's you this morning, that's the decision you wanna make, would you just raise your hand this morning and I wanna remember you in prayer. God in the back there, thank you. Thank you, thank you in the back here. Thank you in the front here. Thank you over here on the side, thank you. Thank you. Thank you in front here, thank you. Thanks. Father, we wanna pray this right now. For those who've just raised their hands and said they wanna accept you, man, what a great thing. But today, Father, we recognize our sin. We recognize that we've fallen short in life, that we've made mistakes, and that this is what we were born into. And today we wanna be reborn. So we look at the cross recognizing that you took all of our sin and all of our shame upon yourself, that you bled and you died, but then you were resurrected, proving to us that we can die to our sin and be reborn in a faith, a spirit that produces spirit, not a flesh that produces flesh. Father, we thank you because your word tells us that when we come to you and we confess our sins, it says you are faithful and just to forgive us. And you take those sins and you throw them as far as the east is from the west and ever to remember it again. I thank you for that ability to do so because so many times we can't get past that sin. But you've taken care of it. And so today we acknowledge the cross. We acknowledge that it was good enough. And we say thank you for forgiving us. And today we are reborn and we will live for you, a changed people desiring to be more like you. Father, we just wanna say thank you. And thank you for all those who may not even raise their hand today, but they're still wrestling with some of these decisions. Help them to get to the cross so that they can be forgiven. And so Father, today we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna thank you. You're just an amazing God who loves us. We give you this time, this day, in your name we pray, amen. Hey church, I wanna celebrate this morning because five people in this service just asked Christ in life and seven people in the last service accepted Christ. So let's give God praise. Thank you, Lord. Amen, amen. So let's live out of that rebirth today. And man, go and make a difference in your world. God is great. We'll see you next week. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.